0: You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 6 While everyone was setting up camp in the lab, Gil was assembling a homemade radio with a toilet paper roll, some coil and wire, pushpins, a razor blade, a piece of wood, batteries and parts from the weather radio. There hasn't been radio transmissions in months, Trent said, watching them. Seems like an exercise in futility. Gil scratched his gray beard scruff. These foxhole radios were used by GIs to intercept messages and spy on the enemy, he said. Now that civilians aren't listening to radio broadcasts, my guess is that the military might be using these airwaves talking to each other. He fiddled with the coils. This isn't right, though. I'm forgetting something, he mumbled shuffling off to a desk for a missing part. The town officials were supposed to be working on an emergency network, to communicate with people in times of crisis, he added, his nose in a drawer. Trent and Kyle were sitting together, participating in a private, somewhat heated-looking debate. Denver was lying close to them, staring at Kyle like he was a juicy filet mignon. Sid finished changing the dressing on Cody's foot, but kept an eye on them. Elevate it, she told Cody. He nodded and closed his eyes to sleep. If he should get feverish, she said to Sam. Let someone know, Sam grinned and thanked her. She returned to her spot. Kyle came over and sat by Sid. She was woozy from all the blood and gore and needed a moment to recuperate. His foot, she whispered. No way he can walk on it, let alone run. If we have to move suddenly, we could be in trouble, Kyle said. Sid nodded. Denver's ankle is a little bruised, but she'll be fine. But Cody lost a lot of blood. He's weak and in shock, I think. I don't know what Sam's deal is, but he's not looking good either. Maybe we should surrender, he suggested. Sid shot him a look. I saw those soldiers, our own military, fire at an unarmed civilian, she reminded him. Kids, basically. Maybe they were darts, like sedation they use on animals or crowd control, he said. The drones weren't using darts, she cried, and those students they captured, they were zip-tied, like criminals or hostages. You want to surrender? You go ahead, she said, rolling away from him. Kyle gently turned her back. Sid, I don't want to, he whispered. But Trent was saying... Gil was tinkering with the wire against the razor blade tuner on his makeshift radio. It crackled and sputtered loudly. Then it picked up a distant voice. They all sat up. The transmission was broken up, but the automated voice fought its way through. Operation Doom U caused irreparable damage to the student union structure at the university. The building has been cleared and scheduled for demolition. Controlled implosion is scheduled for 7 p.m. on Friday. Wait a minute, what? Sam asked. What the hell is Doom You? They're gonna level us? Trent said. Shh, Gil said. All personnel to remain out of the downtown area and campus perimeter. This is a pre-recorded message. Long live McGrath. Scumbags, Sid said. Then she turned to Kyle. They're here to make an example of us. Still want to surrender? Kyle rubbed his face with his hands. The UN will step in, Gil said. This attack against us is obviously violating every international humanitarian law there is. How? How will the UN ever know? Kyle asked. They've removed all of our ability to communicate. We're screwed. They all thought hard about the gravity of that possibility. I want my ya-ya, Denver sniffled. Gil's radio crackled again. I lost the signal, he said. We have to get across the square, like now, Sid said. Gil shook his head. When you implode a building, the goal is to make it collapse into its own footprint, leaving the surrounding buildings untouched. But still, it's a spectacular explosion with billowing, suffocating clouds of dust. Dust which may be tainted by the bomb's biological agent. We have to get as far away as possible. Sid bit at her lip. Yeah, but clouds of smoke can be helpful if you're trying to hide. Gil nodded. Huh, he said, his mind suddenly spinning. That is very true. If we can just make ourselves some kind of mask, we could sneak out while the building implodes, she said. Sounds really risky, Trent said. Sid shot Trent a look. Do you have a better idea? Risky is seven people trying to fight an army of soulless, reprogrammed freaks. What about the athletic arena and field house, Sam suggested. We can hide there for a little. That's about a quarter mile across campus. About 650 steps, Sid said. Kyle smirked. She elbowed him. Maybe for you. My stride is longer. I could make it in 500, I bet, Kyle joked. The arena would be ideal. If we can make it that far, Gil said solemnly. They all looked at each other, probably judging who they thought could make it and who couldn't. There are student recruits all over the square, Gil said. Sid turned to him. That's why we're going to vanish in a cloud of smoke. Trent picked up a club and smacked it over and over against his palm. Or die trying, he said. While the others caught a quick nap, Gil, Kyle, Trent, and Sid huddled together to hatch out a plan. With the implosion coming, they had mere hours to figure out how to save their own lives. I bet the recruits were placing detonators for the implosion, Gil said, as they busied themselves making more weapons and masks. Could be why they performed a quick sweep without really digging too deeply. Sid was sharpening a wooden ruler into a bayonet. What I don't get is, why us? Why this campus? Hard to know if it was just us, Gil said. Historically, regimes launched secret attacks like this against rebels, to dislodge them, to gain the upper hand, break a stalemate. It's a military strategy, but we weren't rebels. We weren't fighting with weapons. These were peaceful demonstrations. I guess if you can't win supporters the traditional way, Trent added, you make your own. From a scientific standpoint, it's pretty impressive, Gil said. I mean, certain injuries to the frontal lobe and limbic system can impair decision-making and basically removed the subject's ability to make judgments. Whatever agent was in that bomb, it rendered its victims, well, void. But they aren't void now, Kyle said, leaning in. They went somewhere, after the explosion, and came back soldiers. Sid's arms broke out in goosebumps. You're suggesting a person can be, what, reprogrammed? Gil nodded slowly, precisely. Exposure to the contents of that bomb rendered their brains clear of thought. Therefore, leaving a vacancy to be filled with information deemed beneficial to the cause, the goal. Which is, Trent asked, world domination, I imagine. I believe we were the guinea pigs in the president's master plan for autocracy, Gil said. He laughed inappropriately at the absurdity of it all. They're using microchips, as my guess, Gil suggested. Like the ones they've been using in Alzheimer's patients and the mentally ill for decades. They wipe the slate clean and then implant a chip for reprogramming. Like you suggested, Gil said. It's evil genius, really. If I had to guess, Kyle interrupted, I would say our campus had turned into a hotspot. Too much opposition. The president wanted to gain the upper hand, send a message. He's definitely not making an example out of me, Trent said. Sid ran her hands through her hair. Our own president has become a terrorist. The words hung in the air like the bomb's pungent, poisonous smoke. Just what do we plan to do about that, Trent asked. That's called cart before the horse, she said. First things first, we have to get our behinds out of this building, pronto. They nodded in agreement but Cody's foot, she added. I threw a couple stitches in there, but he's toast. He can't run. Hell, I'm not even sure if he can walk. Trent and Kyle exchanged glances. We'll handle it, Trent said. Sid eyeballed them. They were up to something, but there was no time for interrogations. Gil shined a penlight onto the floor, then drew a rudimentary bird's eye view of the campus. We are here, he said, drawing a red X. We need to get all the way over here, he continued, drawing a very, very long line behind the buildings to the other side of the campus near the subway. We'll want to take a back route, obviously, for the least amount of exposure possible. But we have no idea what's going on at the arena, however, he warned. So at least we'll be on a major road if the field house doesn't work out. They were quiet for a moment, imagining what not working out meant. They continued to map out their escape route through their building over the skywalk and out the neighboring building to the square. Trent and Kyle practiced different holds like a firefighter carry and piggybacking to help transport Cody. They built an improvised stretcher with the tarp and some poles and a sling from a nearby fire hose, neither of which were ideal. Gil was designated human crutch to Denver if necessary. Sam was only strong enough to carry the supply packs. Although, judging by his feeble appearance, Sid wasn't too sure he was capable of even that. They also dedicated a significant amount of time building better gas masks to protect themselves from the potentially poisonous clouds of dust that would be kicked up by the implosion. The new masks needed to help them breathe, but also to keep the dust out of their eyes. It was going to be hard enough dodging recruits without visibility issues. If they couldn't see or breathe, how could they possibly fight? By the time they assembled at the threshold of the lab door, the sun was just starting to peak over the horizon. Everyone know the plan? Gil asked. They nodded. Notes in your right-hand pocket? He asked. They all double-checked, then nodded. A few hours before, they thought it would be sensible to compose a note to their loved ones and keep them in their pockets, kind of like dog tags. The plan was that if any of them didn't make it, one of the others would take the note and keep it as long as possible to be passed along someday. Kyle was still feverishly trying to finish his note while the group stood ready at the door. If it's true what happened to those students, then they aren't really people anymore. If it comes down to hurting them or being captured, I want you all to promise you'll fight, Gil said. And stay together, Sid added. You'll be much more vulnerable alone. Denver slumped a little. Should we say goodbye to each other? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Sid looked around at her seven new friends. Which of us will make it, she wondered. Which of us won't? I'm not saying goodbye, Sid said. Me neither, Kyle said, finally joining the group. If anyone dies, Sid added, I'm going to kick your ass. They all smiled at each other. There were a few fist bumps, some half hugs. Sam and Trent were making last-minute adjustments to the sling chair for Cody. Sid looked at Kyle, and he looked at her and nodded. Maybe it was the excitement of finally leaving the lab or the soul-crushing possibility that they might not all survive this next move. But she felt an inappropriate wave of affection for him. The tears tried to sting her eyes, but she swallowed them back. He put his hand on her shoulder to comfort her, but of course Sid shook him off. Don't be weird, she said, hating herself for her awkwardness. He pulled his hand away like her skin was a hot skillet. Everyone out first, down the south stairwell to the third floor, Trent said. Kyle and I will exit last with Cody, he added, while Kyle moved solemnly to the back of the group. Sid wanted so much to undo what just happened, but there wasn't time. She was suddenly leading the pack out of the lab and to the stairs. Before they even reached the third floor landing, they heard it. Outside the window, they could see the military trucks pulling up and unloading themselves of soldiers at the entrance to their building. This wasn't going to be a precisely timed and organized event like those implosions on the news. There were no safety barriers, no fencing around the area, not even an orange cone. This was a down and dirty, cover your ass operation. And if the group didn't hustle, they would surely be blown to bits. Get to the skywalk, Sid ordered. They scrambled down the last few steps and out into the third floor hall. To Sid's surprise, there was a small group of students gathered together in a room nearby. She ran toward them. You've got to get out of here, Sid screamed at them, while the rest of her group hurried over the bridge. The students looked up, obviously high on something. The desks were littered with pipes and lighters, a spoon and other paraphernalia. Sid, Denver cried, we need to stick together. Go, Sid yelled, I'll catch up. She couldn't, in good conscience, not try to help. The junkies were huddled together, rocking back and forth. Sid grabbed one of them and shook her. They are blowing up this building right now, she said. But the girl's eyes rolled in their sockets. Get out of here now. One of the guys roughly removed Sid's hand from the girl. We just used up our stash, he told her. Just leave us alone. The whole world is too crazy, man. He let go of Sid and shuffled away. You can't just give up, she yelled, trying to pull them apart. One of them pushed her violently to the ground, smacking her head against the doorway and then the linoleum. We don't want saving, was the last thing she heard him say before she lost consciousness. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty, music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.